the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us today. Aubrey, there was something that former General Michael Flynn said the other day uh, that got lots of people talking. Michael Flynn... A lot of people know he uh, again. He was a general. There was talk a long time ago of him running for president, uh, but it was also uh, he worked in the Trump administration. But he's he's really far right now, really far right. And as we know, uh, especially on the far right, the the enmeshing of the of of that stream with evangelicalism yeah. has gotten very uncomfortable yeah. for a lot of us. It's yeah. gotten very uncomfortable. Uh, he was at a, a rally that ha- was it was loosely faith based American. You know, again, how do you differentiate? But it was all of that. Uh, and I want to play that audio for you here. So let's listen to that. And they're talking about the United States of America, talking about the United States of America, because when Matthew mentioned it in the Bible, he wasn't talking about the physical ground that he was on. He was talking about something in the distance. So if we are going to have one nation under God, which we must, we have to have one religion, one, one, one nation under God and one religion under God, right? All of us together, working together. All right, Aubrey. Uh, the main thing he said there was, first of all, he just kind of butchers what's going on in Matthew there, what he's talking about. Absolutely. But, but he says this. He says, basically, he's speaking to a room full of Christians. Again, this is a faith-based event right. that he was right. at. And he um, he he advocates that we should be desiring that there only be one religion, that being Christianity. He's speaking to a Christian crowd there mm-hmm. that we should be desiring mm-hmm. that this is just a that, that everybody's a Christian. Yeah. So what do we do with that? You right. and I are both pastors. We, right. Uh, we want people to come to faith. We want people to come uh, to know who Jesus is, but yet this feels like really dangerous rhetoric when you're speaking of a nation. So when mm-hmm. you first heard that, what'd you think of that? So, I mean, this is what's difficult because I, I mean, I, I just wrapped up my master's degree in evangelism. I do believe that the mission of the church is to make disciples of every tribe, tongue and nation. And so um, we should want Every person we know, all of our neighbors around the globe to come to faith in Christ, period. We should want that. What is a little disturbing about this is I don't think that that has anything in that has anything to do in particular with America. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing and, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Listeners, if we're wrong, you let us know. What I'm hearing is nationalism, mm-hmm. Christian nationalism, mm-hmm. and it is too. This is this is the problem right now. Mm-hmm. Our Christian faith is too wrapped up in our identity as Americans, right. and that is the seat of idolatry and sin. It has to change. I think that's well put. I think again, you and I categorically want to see as many people come to faith as possible. Amen. We want to see revival in America. Yes, we want to see people coming to faith. At the same time, we live in a nation. Uh, in which all religions are are respected mm-hmm. and and are accepted, yeah, and that that's not the goal. And and I always tell people it this way, you know, why can't we teach Christian Christianity in our public schools? Why can't we do this? I go, well, that's all fine and good when you're the dominant religion. Yes, what happens a generation or two from now when maybe we're not? And right. I, we're also we're already feeling that yeah. I think that kind of. Um, Christianity kind of going to the sidelines a little bit in the public square. And, and what happens when we're on the sidelines and all of a sudden the Michael Flynn's of the world uh, are going, hey, I want our entire nation to be an atheist nation. That's all we're going right. to be. I want right. us just to be a Muslim nation. That's right. all we're going to be. Right. We'd be the first ones throwing a fit. Absolutely, we would. And so I do think not only is it possible, but I think it's it's the right method to say we want to see as many people mm-hmm. come to faith and we want the United States of America to be 
uh, as welcoming and as uh, to all all yes. faiths. I, yeah. I think that's kind of the tension we have to ride there. And I mm-hmm. think you make a great point. When 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 we don't go down that road, now we're going down this road of just meshing the state. I've never used the word a mesh so much, but a meshing the mm-hmm. state uh, and our faith. And that also never ends well, as we've seen yes. in the last uh, years, a couple years. So definitely last couple of years. I saw this one flying around Twitter this weekend and I said, oh, we got to talk about mm-hmm. that. We, we've got to be really careful in our churches. And there's going to be another clip from something I'm, I want to play later in the week that kind of gets at this as well. Well, glad that you're with us here on this Monday. Coming up next, we are joined by Brian Zahn to talk about his new book, When Everything's on Fire, Faith Forged from the Ashes. We're going to talk to Brian next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey, we are thrilled to be joined uh, by the author of a new book called When Everything's on Fire, Faith Forged from the Ashes. He is an author and founder and lead pastor of Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. His name is Brian Zond. Brian, how are you doing today, bud? I'm doing great, Brian and Aubrey. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure, Brian. Hey, before we dive into the book, and congrats on that coming out, before we dive into that, uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more to our audience so they can get to know you? Yeah, well, I'm Brian Zond, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Church, and I've been the pastor there for 40 years in one week. <laughs> oh, congratulations. Congrats. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, last week we celebrated our 40th anniversary. I'm uh, the founding pastor. We began when I was 22. Do the math. I'm 62 <laughs> now. And uh, 40 years is the Bible language for a long time. <laughs> so I've been the pastor there for a long time. Uh, in the last 10 years, or 12 years, I've been writing quite a bit. I've written, I've written 10 books in the past 12 years. Wow. Um, one of one of them isn't out yet. It's finished, but it, it won't come out till next year. You start writing faster than they so can publish. So prolific, <laughs> dang! <laughs> <laughs> right. so you know that's a thumbnail sketch of who I am, anyway. Um, Brian, I we were talking off air. I love all the alliteration in your title. When everything's yeah. on fire, faith forged from the ashes. I, it just sounds good. So well done. If you titled it, it or your publisher good. did, it's, it sounds awesome. It was a collaboration. Well, yeah. well done. I would just love to hear, and I know our listeners would love to hear, talk to us about the book. Why did you write it? What's it about? You know, the book is about the challenge that we face of maintaining faith in a secular age. Um, the time that Nietzsche... I'm something of a student of philosophy as well. That's part of my interest. The time that Nietzsche foresaw and foretold when he proclaimed brazenly God is dead, meaning that God would no longer be the center or the organizing principle within Western society, that time really has arrived. Of course, God is not dead. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. What I am saying is that God is no longer presumed or assumed and that to maintain faith is going to take some deliberate effort, and mm. we are you know, seeing a lot of people publicly lose their faith. Right. And so before people are deconstructed and done and all of that, before they move on into a world without any more Easter's, I would like just to see if I could have a conversation mm. and see if I could help them hold on to faith in a secular age, or as I say in the book, hold on to faith when everything's on fire. Mm. Oh, that's fascinating, Brian. And I told you off air, Aubrey and I are both pastors as well. In fact, we're both church planters, and Mm -hmm. I can't imagine getting to 40 years, so congratulations. Yeah, well done. (laughs) That's outstanding. We quit every Sunday, so good job that you're 40 years. (laughs) No, you you quit every Monday. You don't quit on Sunday. That's right, yeah, that's right, that's right. That's right. So, Brian, uh, thinking about the church, before we get into kind of the end individual side of things, how do you maintain a faith uh, in this kind of culture that you've described? And I think you've described it so well. Mm-hmm. I guess I'd love to know, uh, you've been in the church for a long time, as you said. How does the church need to look different in this culture? How do we need to see uh, the things we've always done kind of morph a little bit? Well, I think the church needs desperately to pull away from a combative posture. Mm. Uh, as we gather on Sunday morning, we need to be gathering in a place that is a shelter from the storm and not a battlefield. Wow, that's good. And everybody is aware 
that we live in a combative time, a time of deep vitriol and divide and anger and rage and on yeah. it goes. And church really does need to be something other. I'm not saying that the church doesn't have anything to say uh, concerning pressing issues. I'm not talking about quietism where we just sort of ignore the way the world is. But we need to gather in a different way, in a way where the peace of Christ is real. Mm. And that peace needs to be real uh, where we gather and when we gather. Or else I think, you know, people are just eventually going to reach the point where they say, if all they're going to do at church is stoke more rage and anger and resentment, I don't need that on my Sunday morning. I can do that Mm -hmm. by just turning on the TV or logging onto the Internet. Mm. So I, I, I don't have, you know, I'm not here to say... This is exactly what needs to be done, and we do this, and all of our problems will be fixed. But I do think that we need to pull away from a combative posture. I really yeah, do that's think good, that. Brian. And Brian, this is going to be a hard uh, question to answer, you know, with just a few bullet points. But Brian and I are both pastoring lots of folks who are deconstructing right now. We've been yeah. talking about it a lot on the show. How do we begin to move people into reconstructing? Like, how do we honor this 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 struggle or, or whatever it is that's happening with their faith, but then move them back to a place of faith rather than walking away from, you know, everything in Christianity that they've known and loved for so long. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I want to say to that is to recognize that it is a real phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think many people wake up some morning and just go, you know, I think I'm going to enter into deconstruction for the fun of it. <laughs> I, <laughs> yes, mean, I mean, I know it's a term that's in vogue, and I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of that term. I use it, I address it. Uh, you know, I would rather leave that in the realm of philosophy with Jacques, Jacques Derrida and what he means by deconstruction. That's where we get that, that term, and he means something a little bit different, and maybe quite a bit different than the way it's being used today. Yeah. But, but be that as it may, I think the idea that people are finding themselves in a crisis where faith as they have known it is no longer tenable is a real phenomenon. Yeah. And there's no point in just getting angry with people. Mm. In the book I say getting angry with modern people for having a crisis of faith is like getting moderate medie- uh, angry at medieval people for dying of the plague. Mm-hmm. <laughs> something, something has happened. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the things that we can do is to help people understand that there is a difference between Christ the King and the theological house that we construct. Um, the, we can think of our theological house as the palace in the mind where Christ the King resides. And your house and the King are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's possible to reevaluate faith and how we understand certain doctrines and theology. It's possible to renovate all of that without pitching the whole thing. Yeah. And this is one of the problems with modern fundamentalism. It tends to tie everything together so tightly that if one thing is jettisoned, everything goes with it. Mm. And so, you know, it's possible to rethink um, I don't know, whatever you want to, whatever you feel like you need to rethink. Maybe it's an, maybe it's an issue of eschatology. Maybe it's uh, some ways that we understand uh you know, judgment and things like that. Those can be done without necessarily walking away from Jesus. And so help people see that there is a, there, there is a way to hold on to Jesus and rethink your faith. Mm. And the other thing is, um, really, I don't think any of the issues that are being raised that seem to be a point of crisis of faith for people are, are really all that new. Yeah. And the church has been talking about these things for centuries. Yeah. And sometimes we just need to help people find um, the, the best of the church, yeah. mm. the best responses, our best thinking, our best work, because those resources are there. They exist. And the problems that throw people into a crisis, if they are often only found within a certain narrow Mm-hmm. the expression of the body of Christ. Sometimes mm-hmm. we just need to open up to a to a more ecumenical yeah. uh, position where we are embracing a wider swath of the church. That's good. And uh, so, so what I've seen among evangelicals is they 
<laughs> when, when they deconstruct out of the faith, that they leave Christianity, but they remain evangelical. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In that, what they, they, all, they seem to accept a certain form of evangelical fundamentalist leaning Christianity is the only legitimate Christianity. And so if they have that, they don't tend to look at other expressions. You know, maybe you need to look at the mainline world or the Orthodox mm-hmm, world mm-hmm. or the Anglican world or something like that. So, or, or people, you know, who come from a fundamentalist Christian background uh, walk away from Christianity but keep the fundamentalism. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think helping people to be more nuanced, That's good. to understand that uh, their questions are legitimate, but there are probably some really good resources that deal with these questions. And so before you burn it all down or walk away from it all, I want to help people try to maintain faith because it's precious, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it is. And, and, and so I, I don't want to... Uh, we need to treat it like um, like a, something that's, that's valuable. I, I, in the book I talk about it as if... Uh, imagine an icon that is found in some neglected corner in a monastery that may be a thousand years old and it's a very precious icon, but over the centuries it's become covered in a patina of grime and soot and ash and dirt, mm. and the image of Christ is nearly obscure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Well, we're going to restore this. Yeah. Well, when they bring in the restoration artist to, that's going to work on this, I don't know exactly what's in her toolkit, but I'm sure there's not, a, there's not dynamite in a sledgehammer. Right. <laughs> right. So, so we are dealing with something precious, and I think we ought to be careful and try to make a distinction between that which is the grime and the soot and needs to go and that which is the correct and needs to go. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's so good. Again, the book is called When Everything's on Fire, Faith Forged from the Ashes. His name is Brian Zond. You talked about how we're culturally um Christ is no longer at the center, right? We're no longer this Christian culture and that's the trajectory of our culture. There's probably some people listening right now going, "No, it feels like the first thing we need to do is fight we need to fight to get yeah. Christ back at the center. How would you answer that? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a wrong-headed approach that will lead further away. I mm. think it's just another part of the problem. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that's necessary, and I don't think it's going to succeed. I, I think the tsunami of secularism that is scouring Western society is not going to abate anytime soon, and I don't think it's something we need to directly fight, because I don't think we're going to win that war. I don't think we were called to fight it in the first place. Mm-hmm. I really wish the Church would begin to uh, drop a lot of its change-the-world rhetoric. Um, I, I don't think we're called to change the world. Uh, that belongs to Christ. Christ mm-hmm. is the Savior of the world. And we are simply to be that part of the world already changed by Christ. Mm. So I think we need to have more modest aspirations and ways that we talk about what it means to live in a faithful way to Christ in the time in which we live. Because once we adopt that kind of language, or we think that our task is to, quote, change the world, then we find it almost irresistible to reach for the most pragmatic and quickest means of change, and that is that is coercive politics. Mm-hmm. And we think that somehow we have to step into that arena, and what you end up doing is making a lot of enemies, yep. or, well, you could say it this way, you become a tool to one side, an enemy to another, and prophetic to neither. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I think the Church needs to be content to be something other, mm-hmm. a just simply be the world as being transformed by Christ. Mm. Um, so when I talk about secularism, I'm not talking about it in culture war terms. I'm talking about something that's been a long time coming. It, it has its roots in the Enlightenment, and it's in some ways it's a reaction to. This is I'm oversimplifying, but it's a reaction to Christendom. Yeah. Christendom was an attempt to conflate Christian faith and imperial agenda, so that we end up trying to have, quote, Christian nations. And secularism is pushing back against that, to which I would say that's perfectly acceptable. Yes. I'm looking for the Church to be the Church and not to be right. um, Christendom, yep. this, this conflation of Christianity and empire. So 
don't go fight battles that, A, you don't need to fight, and B, you're going to lose anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's what I would say about that. That's really good. <laughs> Brian, one of the things that you share about is your pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago, and you share some just spiritual connections uh, that you make when you're doing that pilgrimage. Can you share with our listeners just one or two stories from that experience? Oh, and now, now you've got me going. You're just going to have to cut me off. <laughs> uh, my wife and I, in 2016, we walked our first Camino de Santiago. This is this uh, 1,200-year-old Christian pilgrim route uh, that, that uh, well, the most famous route is the Francis route that begins in San Jean Pied de Port France and goes all the way to Santiago de Compostela, Spain. That's 500 miles, and we've done it three times, and we take about 40 days to do that. Wow! It's it's amazing how pilgrimage has made a comeback. Mm. Not not and, and not. Uh, not only among you know religious people, Christian people, Catholic people, but all kinds of people. Now, in medieval times, you the purpose of pilgrimage was to arrive at some site where you would venerate the relics and all of that. Uh, that isn't what's going on today because let's face it: if I want to, if I want to be in Santiago de Compostela, Spain, and venerate the relics, the alleged relics of Saint James, I can get there and you know. I can get there in one day from anywhere in the world. Yeah. I don't have to walk 500 right, miles right. to the thing. So the point is, well, I know it's a cliche. We say, uh, you know, it's not the destination, it's the journey. Yeah. But this is really true with modern pilgrimage. Because what happens, I mean, we all know we live in this harried age where we are rushing about at breakneck speed constantly. Now, imagine where, um, imagine... Your life being so simple that everything you need, you carry on your back. You never move any faster than foot speed. Your life is very simple. Get up in the morning and walk 12 to 15 miles west, and then do it again, and then do it again. What happens is your soul begins to settle. It becomes still. It begins to achieve peace. and begin, You begin to arrive in a more contemplative state. And it was walking the third time on the Camino in 2019 when this book was born. We were about 200 miles into our very long walk. Gives you a lot of time to think. You're walking past churches, very, very, you know, centuries-old churches all the time. And so I was kind of aware of a previous age where Christian faith was there at the very center of, of life. And now I know that's not the case. So I was thinking about these things, and we arrived at uh, Castro Jaris, a lovely hilltop village there in northern Spain after, our, I don't know what it was, 15-mile walk, and I sat there on that terrace by the little albergue where we were staying, and I thought, well, if I could walk with people that are in fear of losing their faith or moving away from Christian faith, if I could walk for a day with them, here on the Camino, what would I say? Mm. And there I outlined the 11 chapters. I really stuck to it, the 11 chapters that became this book, and I gave it the title right there and then, wow. When Everything's on Fire. This was October of 2019. I didn't really start writing it, though, until January of 2020, and then, shortly <laughs> after that, yes. everything was on fire. Right? <laughs> yes, I, yes, it was. I thought everything was on fire. And then everything was on fire. Yeah. And so that's that's where the book was born. That's where it comes from. And was conceived in a very contemplative state. And so I tried to write from that place. And I and I feel good about the book. I think I I think I accomplished that. That's awesome. Again, the book is called When Everything's on Fire, Faith Forged from the Ashes. Brian, it's probably unfair, but I'm going to give you a minute for the people out there listening. <laughs> the people listening, and there's someone in their car right now going, you know what? I am close to giving up my faith. I am close to throwing it in. Uh, you're a pastor. You've thought a lot about this. And uh, what would you say to that person who's like right now going, yeah, I hear what he's saying, and I'm really struggling to hold on right now? From the days of Rene Descartes and Cogito Ergo Sum, I think, therefore, I am. We've been kicked up inside our head. And we feel like we have to be the sole arbiter of truth and have to justify every belief we have by a rational argument. I want to say, remember what Blaise Pascal said. The heart has its reasons, 
of which reason knows nothing. Mm. There's a lot of issues that may need to be dealt with, and I believe it can be, but the first thing I would say is come down out of the attic of your head, up there with all of those dusty old National Geographics, <laughs> and come down into the living room of the heart, or the hearth room, where the one thing you still know, not in your head, but in your heart, you know that Jesus is Lord. Mm. And just lean into that, and sit with Jesus, tell him your questions, and give Jesus a chance to help you through this time. That's what I would want to say. Oh, thanks for that, Brian. I'm I'm sure that God is going to use that in powerful ways. Again, the book is called When Everything's on Fire, Faith Forged from the Ashes. The author is Brian Zond. Uh, You can find him at brianzond.com. That's Z-A-H-N-D, brianzond.com. Also connect with him on Twitter at Brian Zahn. Brian, thanks so much for this. Congratulations on the book. It is wonderful to spend some time with you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Aubrey. It was a delight to be with you. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for being with us today. I was perusing Twitter as one does. And Tim Keller, Tim Keller, founder and former pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, author of more books than I've read in my life. Definitely true. Definitely true. Prolific speaker. If you and I at some point we will do a top five list of our maybe. Wow, this is a good one. Like theologians and pastors (laughs) who have have like formed us. Okay, like maybe. Okay, okay. uh, It's not about living. Well, how about we go there? Okay. So Tim Keller is going to be on my top five list because he's just prolific like that. I have high respect for him. So he is also a great follow on Twitter. One of the more surprising things is that Tim Keller is really active on Twitter. Yes. Which one would never believe. Or are his assistants? That's what I always wonder. The things that his account tweets about, it feels like him. Yeah. Because he stirs okay. the pot, too, and you want to be like... He uh, does say, my son posts here on my behalf as well. So maybe it's him and his son. Oh, you are correct. But that's, yeah, they're the same. They're one and the same, for basically. Me. All right. So he tweets something that at face value feels extremely Jesus, extremely biblical. Okay. And I'm not saying in face value, but it's actually not. It is. Okay. But I also think there's some subtext to it that, that makes people go, oh, okay, what do we do with that? Let me read you uh, his tweet. G- uh, Tim Keller wrote this. Jesus cannot simply be liked. You either must reject him utterly or crown him king of your life. He goes on to say, nobody who ever met Jesus ever had a moderate reaction to him. They either hated him and wanted to kill him. They were afraid of him and wanted to run away, or they were absolutely smitten with him and they tried to give their whole lives to him. Uh, so you got to be all in or all out, right? Like that's basically what he's saying. You either reject yeah. him utterly yeah. or you he's Lord of your life. You crown him king of your life. Let's start with like the truthfulness of this. Mm-hmm. This is straight out of the Bible. Correct? Yeah, I mean, this is Romans essentially. Like, I mean, there's other places too, but you go, you choose one realm or the other in a sense. That's You're right. either under the authority of Jesus or not. This is you deny yourself or not. You die yourself or not that's right. like yes that's this right is, this is biblical and jesus says a lot of the same right mm-hmm. he says he tells people to don't go bury your father follow me you know and you're yep. just reading it going really like this so is- intense. <laughs> and so i want to talk a little bit about the really because i think when people hear that mm-hmm. all right let me just take, make it personal i don't want to talk about the people out there let me make it personal. When I read that I this weekend, I thought to myself, absolutely, I'm challenged by that. I need to just kind of pray about that. Like, that's important. Mm-hmm. There's another part of me that goes, that is completely impossible. Sure. And so, therefore, do we – is there a um, is there a spectrum here? Like, I'm mm. doing a good job. I'm kind of crowning him king of my life. It is kind of is an either or, right? Like, you're either all in or you're all out. And, yeah. again, that's biblical. Right. I want to make it a little practical here and go, I do think it's easy to read that and go, well, then I don't have any chance. Yeah. So why even bother? Yeah. Because, of course, there are going to come moments in my day where I reject him, where I disobey, where I mess Uh up, where I treat myself as king of my Mm -hmm. whatever else Mm -hmm. it might be. How do you reconcile that? How do you wrestle with that as a uh, as a Christ follower when what he says there is true, but feels really daunting? Yeah, I mean, I guess. This is, I don't know, Brian. I'm kind of, I, I, ah, I gotcha. I gotcha. I don't have a good answer. 
answer because I think it is hard. I mean, I think at the end of the day, this is a cruciform call, right, to come to Christ. And it is a matter of like laying down your crowns and him becoming king. And I think ultimately Keller's uh, referencing something John Stott said Mm -hmm. here, which is ultimately that people never... Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be, you know, king. Jesus claimed to have authority. And people freaked out about that or followed him wholeheartedly. Just that you can't necessarily, when faced with Jesus, you can't just have sort of a like, yeah, okay, like a mundane reaction. I don't know that this is necessarily about the state of our hearts and our striving towards Christ as much as it is like, are you coming to Jesus or are you rejecting Jesus? And I think ultimately that's what's true about it is you can't, if you are someone listening right now and you're not a person of faith or you're kind of considering, do I want to follow this Jesus? This is really what God is asking of you. Mm -hmm. Are you going to make him king of your life or not? That's said. Okay. Other side in, in sort of, uh, evangelism discipleship theory there is this concept that no longer are you supposed to just like get people to cross the line mm-hmm. of salvation they're done the point is to move towards jesus yes. becoming the center of your life more and more and more liking jesus being attracted to jesus is part of that discipleship of evangelism journey right so right. that's where there's some i can see why you're wrestling a little bit because i think there's an important element you said discipleship evangelism theory this idea of um, process, yeah. of being on a journey, uh, Eugene Peterson's long obedience yes. in the same direction, this idea that we are traveling towards him, we are, we are becoming, hopefully we're becoming more and more Christ-like the longer I follow him, um, but I'm never fully there on this side of eternity. Uh, I think that that is true, uh, but it is true to say that we have to be all in or all out. Like yes. he is my hope. Yes. He is my Lord. I'm abandoning all other idols. I'm abandoning all other um, uh, choices for lordship. I do. Yeah, it's hard because I think they are they are both true. So, Aubrey, how about the person out there who feels like a failure? They feel like mm. I read this and I'm like, well, I failed already. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's whatever time of day it is today, and I've already dropped the ball on this. How about the person who doesn't? Here, let's let's say the way we've probably been asked by people in our congregations. I'm not following Jesus yeah. good enough. Yeah. I'm not uh, doing this good uh, enough. I keep failing. What do we say to that person? I think this is where you have to remind that person or even yourself of the gospel, right? Mm. Because really, I think ultimately, and maybe what you're struggling with even hearing this, Brian, this tweet, is it really doesn't depend on the measure of our faith or the measure of our obedience. Yes, we are called to faithfulness. Yes, we are called to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. At the end of the day, that is because of the merits of his death Mm -hmm. and his resurrection and his faithfulness. So this is a moment where if you're feeling like you're failing, we are all failing. Look to (laughs) Jesus. He is perfect. And his perfection, his righteousness, his goodness is the thing that saves you and rescues you, not yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I think you just have to remember the gospel and just go, okay, Lord, Oh, I messed up again. Could you please come find me? Please come help me. And by your righteousness, would you help me to live for you? Yeah. And I think um, you and I used the phrase last week. uh, We used the phrase gospeling. We turned it into a verb. Yes. And that's what we need to do over and over and over again. The gospel is not the entryway. It is the entryway, the middle, the end. It's it's the whole picture. There you go. Uh, And this... Again, I want to preface this by saying everything Keller said in that tweet is right. Yes. But it also, I think, when it's misread, leads to perfectionism and fundamentalism mm. that says, well, it's all up to me. I better be I better be all in today. Because yeah. what do you like? Think about when you're in athletics, right? To be all in means I'm going to work harder than everybody right. else. I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone, yes. whatever that saying means. <laughs> and what does I'm, that saying mean? We'll, it's have old another, school. we'll talk about that another day. <laughs> Top five sayings that don't make <laughs> oh, sense. Oh, write that down. Uh, but it's just try harder. And we want to tell people, no, no, the, our, our Christianity is not about trying harder. That's not the point. Yeah. And I know I've read enough Keller to know that, that he is the furthest thing from preaching. Totally. That. And so I do think we, uh, what it really causes us to do is wrestle with the words of Jesus mm. and what does it mean to follow him? Coming up next, we're going to ask this question. How does grace fuel us? You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we're so glad you're with us here today. I was over at the Gospel Coalition and Ruth Chow Simmons asked some really, really profound questions in an article that she wrote about grace. And Mm. I wanted to just read these questions, not actually expecting you to answer them like an interview, but I want our listeners to hear these and even... I don't know, consider them for themselves because they're really, really powerful. And then maybe we can talk about some of them. But here's what she asks. Why do we live our days worn out, fearful and anxiously striving as if we are lacking and unable to measure Mm. up? Why do we live as if we are lacking resources, time, achievement, clarity, purpose, energy, confidence or acceptance and welcome from a holy God? Why do we live as if we are unable to measure up as friends, as colleagues, as mothers, as wives, as daughters, with our appearance and our current season of life as Christ followers? Mm. Then she begins to talk about that. But Brian, what do you think about those questions? Gosh, they're pretty foundational, Mm -hmm. right? Like, what do I see when I look in the mirror? Why don't I, when when no one else, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm fully confident in God. (laughs) But but deep in your heart of hearts, you know what you think. You know what you're feeling. And, And when, if you're one of those people uh, who regularly is like, God could never love me. Other mm-hmm. people can never love me. I'm never enough. What's what's fueling that? I think uh, these are foundational questions that, that when they're put right in front of you, you're like, yeah, why do we do that? Like, what is the answer to that? So, I, yeah, difficult questions to really wrestle with. She asks a few more questions along that same line. What does it take to not miss my purpose, to not miss my potential, to meet expectations, to not waste my life? What does it take to feel like I've done enough? What must I do to be enough. Basically, what she's saying is that all of us are sort of looking for our arrival, like that mm. point when we finally have hit the mark of measuring achievement, getting the results, getting the approval rate ratings that we want, belonging. And then she describes this as really us just being stuck on a hamster wheel mm-hmm. of striving in our own strength. I even like even just hearing those questions. I'm like, oh, yes, yeah. I'm so tired yeah. of sort of asking those questions all the time. What she profoundly says is that ultimately the answer is God's grace. Mm, What changed everything for me in this unending search for adequacy was truly understanding God's grace. Brian, what talk to us about grace. How do we experience grace in the midst of all of that hustling and striving? That's great because I think when we truly understand God's grace in our life, we come to not just the recognition, but the acceptance of the fact of like, yeah, I am not enough. Right. I haven't earned God's favor. (laughs) I do fail as a husband, as a dad, and it doesn't justify it, right? Like, it's not like, well, I'm going to be the worst dad ever because God's grace, right? But it takes away the burden. We talked about earlier in the show. It takes away the burden of perfectionism that says, it's all about me. I've got to pull myself up by my Mm -hmm. bootstraps. Another saying that we should discuss sometime, pull myself up by the bootstraps. Write it down, write it down. But I'm going to just, you know, grit my teeth and go. When it becomes all about me, then my failures even just to myself become really pronounced yeah. and just going, I, I don't measure up. I might be able to pretend that I measure up. There might be times that I measure yeah. up, but, but the totality of it is that I don't measure up. And then we're left with this. It's the hamster wheel. You said we're defeated. Mm-hmm. We're the When we understand God's grace in our life that yes, uh, you are a sinner. Uh, you will fail, mm-hmm. but, God loves me so much that he sent Jesus. And, and now I get the picture of, yeah. of kind of that, that large picture of grace. I can kind of take a deep breath and go, mm. okay, like I'm, I am, I'm, I'm created in the image of God. Yeah. He loves me, but he loves me so much that he sent Jesus. And it's no longer about my performance. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean my performance doesn't matter. Doesn't right. mean my actions don't matter, but they are no longer ultimate. And, right. and I think then it, okay. it gives us freedom uh, to go and, and to live our lives. I think, you know, I'm just thinking through this, my own personal reaction when I do tend to get into that hustle mode or striving mode or not meeting the mark mode. My tendency then is to not necessarily always strive harder, but like, oh, then I'm not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. I'm going to close my door. I'm going to stay under the covers. I'm going (laughs) to veg out and watch Netflix and just like live in a little island so that no one can hurt me or touch me. And I don't think that's the solution either. I think the solution is what you say. And what we really, I mean, this is interesting to me. I feel like we keep coming back to themes, but this theme of gospeling yourself, Mm -hmm. that you can rest in Christ because of what he has done for you. Here's what Ruth Chow Simmons says. Grace makes it possible for you to stop striving for yourself and to strive out of love for God instead. 
Grace isn't an excuse to be lazy or apathetic about the marks of a Christian life. Mm. It's the catalyst by which we can partake in it. Your loving father has good work for you to do when you stop striving to produce fruit on your own. Grace really does fuel what striving cannot. Mm. Beautiful. That's really well put. Because again, uh, we know this. If you've been around the church, if you've read your Bible, if you've listened to sermons, you know this, Mm -hmm. that it's not about what you can do. It's about who you are in Christ, right? Like it's. Uh, it's what we've said or, or before that Ian you know, used to always say in the show that we're, we're human beings. We're not human doings. It, it's about uh, who Jesus is and what he's done in my life. Uh, that That is the foundation. But yet she's so right that it's so easy to fall back. She says, we say we trust that Jesus is enough, but we spend our lives trying to prove that we are. Mm. And it's like that that attempt to prove. I've got to always prove myself as a as a whatever job it is, as a dad, as a whatever. I've yeah. got to prove myself. Yeah. Uh, and, and you could just picture God up there being like, chill out. Right. Like, I, right. you're accepted. Right. You're loved. Whether you're the most successful person in the world or you're the, you know, what you're the, the least successful person culturally, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, so, again, work hard, strive hard, do all these things, but do it from the right spot mm. that that I'm accepted, I'm mm, loved, that good. that while while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me, uh, and that I can live with that. You know, sounds like a book I, I, I've heard about. No, Is it called Known? How <laughs> Believing Who God Says You Are Changes Everything? Sounds like a book I've heard about. Available of. now for Christmas gifts? Um, I, I was uh, watching a movie over the weekend called Tick, Tick, Boom, and one of the questions that the main character was asked by a friend was, are you motivated by fear or by love? And the kind of joke in the movie is he was like, fear, I'm definitely motivated by fear. But I, I do think that's a similar question. Like, are you motivated by striving, achieving accolades, platform, whatever, whatever it is in your world that you sort of strive for? Or are you motivated by grace and love? And sometimes I think we don't always know the difference, right? But sometimes I think it's just a matter of pausing and going, oh, Lord, here I am again. Hustling, striving, mm. oh, feeling bad about myself, beating myself up. Would you help me to be motivated by your grace and your love today? Not, um, not out of fear of not yeah. being enough or whatever it is, yeah. whatever it is for you. Yeah, I just think fear is, it's a good motivator to get you to do stuff. Definitely, it is. But man, it's it's just it, when you're living, believing the next shoe is about to drop. Yeah, and that could be in all sorts of ways. But when I my view of God is when's that next shoe going mm-hmm. to drop? Meaning when is he going to give up on me? When is he going to discard me? Because I've just not measured up to what his standards are, man. That's, that's not what it means to follow Jesus. That's not biblical. And that, that kind of um, burden is, is kind of antithetical to the grace that we have in the yeah. gospel. But yet yeah. so many of us live that way. Oh, so many of us live that way. Okay, Brian, as we close very quick, 30 seconds, Encourage someone pastorally who's hurting right now and feeling like they're not living from grace. Yeah, totally get it. I've yeah. been there many times. Uh, I, what I would encourage you is to go back to the fundamentals of, of what you know uh, about about Scripture and about the gospel, who you are in Christ. Be reminded that you're a child of God and be reminded that God, that God didn't send Jesus because you earned it. Yeah. But instead, he sent Jesus because you desperately needed it. Amen. And that we can live in that and, and that that then becomes the foundation out of, out of which we live. So I'd spend time in prayer over that. Um, I'd spend time just kind of contemplating it. And, mm. and hopefully it starts to take root in you. I love that. I love that you said spend time being, not doing. Well mm-hmm. done. You're a good pastor, Brian. We try. Well, coming up next, what can we pray when we are feeling weary? You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for being here with us today. We hope you've enjoyed the show as much as we have. We always love to end the show by leaving you with something inspiring, encouraging, challenging. And this feels like part of our theme for today's show. But this was a prayer that I found for those of us who are weary before we dive into the prayer, Brian, how weary are you on a scale of not weary at all? Living my best life too. I just want to be asleep all the time. Where That's are funny. you? I think I'm actually less weary. I'm, I've thought about that today. I feel more energetic. I feel like nice. uh, there, there's some good things. Not that it's always tied to your circumstances, but I feel like there's good circumstances. Been having mm-hmm. fun time with the family, church going well. That mm-hmm. I feel 
I feel a little less weary, but you always know that you're like one phone call away from weariness oh, or one isn't that email true? or one whatever else it might be. Yes. So I'm going to celebrate not feeling weary here on a Monday, okay. despite it being dark and cold. Thanksgiving's coming, you know? Yeah, that's uh, true. Not so weary right now. Understanding that weariness is always right around the corner. How about yourself? Uh, I am very weary. I think I'm, I think we're still reeling from um, Kevin's mom's passing, mm-hmm. and I just feel tired. I think part of it's the time change and how dark it is. This morning I was driving somewhere and thinking about the fact that, like, I'm weary. Lord, help me. Lord, help mm. me. Lord, help me. I'm not depressed. I don't feel necessarily... Um, like overwhelmed with life. I just feel tired. Like I could take a nap for days and it wouldn't be enough rest. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't know. But speaking of weariness over at the dwell differently website, an author named Natalie Abbott shared a prayer for the weary that I thought might encourage us and our listeners. Mm -hmm. And this is what's interesting. This uh, author talks about how, She's not weary because she's, um, you know, a mom with young kids at home. She's not weary because she's changing diapers and making mac and cheese and breastfeeding and all of those things. She's weary, Brian. I thought you would appreciate this because she has teenagers. (laughs) And your teenager is about to turn 18. Yes. yes. How are you feeling about that? Weary. Weary. Yeah. She's in a good spot. So I feel like 18 is good. But there are moments when you sit back and think about it where you're like, Whoa, what's going on? The passage of time. I also appreciate her saying, the author saying that, I said this to you about uh, cost of children, but I think kids, uh, parents are more tired when their kids get into the teenage years, at least I felt this, than in the beginning. Obviously, you lose sleep. Yeah, you're not yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's like this general like, oh, life is crazy. We're going, going. And mm-hmm. I also think they cost more when they get older. Oh, and so they cost uh, a lot right now. Yeah, there, there, is a, uh, there is a weariness that comes with parenting. That's for sure. Yeah, the, it, it, it feels weary. So here's, let me, let me share with you some of the prayer for the weary, but let me tell you how it came about. So this author was reading some scripture, do not grow weary. Mm. And she felt like the Holy Spirit said to her, don't grow weary, I've got you. And reminded her of this truth. That God does not grow weary. God never gives up. God's power and strength are limitless and God wants to share them with us. Mm. So for all of us who are exhausted, people with big kids, little kids, no kids, people walking through hardship, people who are ill, people in conflict, people who are depressed, people who are worried or fearful, fearful, whoever you are, join me. This is this author Mm -hmm. in refreshment for your soul. And let's read these ancient words as a prayer. This is from Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And here's her prayer. O Lord, everlasting God, though I'm worn down, you are never weary. I may falter and fail, but you never faint. O Lord, your energy and power are boundless. You created and uphold everything always and forever. You are the one true and forever God, always the same, all powerful, all wonderful God of gods, Lord over all things. Who is like you? I am but a breath, a breath, a mist, the dew that evaporates with the sun. I am weary and worn here and then gone. Yet I wait on you. I trust in you. I worship and wonder at you. There's a lot more to the prayer. You can find it at dwelldifferently.com, but what do you think about that, Brian, turning to prayer when you're weary rather than all of the other things we do? I mean, I know there's the right answer for that, but, you know, be honest with our listeners. Yeah, it's hard to do because yeah. when you're you're often weary from being overwhelmed or from life circumstances. And like, I know when I'm overwhelmed, my schedule's over, you know, it's too full or whatever mm-hmm. else. I, I usually go, okay, got to work harder. Got to run harder. Got to run faster. That's like so it's, true. And those seasons happen, but yeah. when it becomes just how you always are. Or when circumstances are hard, it's like, okay, I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out. Yeah. And, and so prayer often will take a back seat, not a, not a front seat for me. And, and I think what she brings up here is a wonderful reminder of God doesn't grow weary with us. Ugh. It's kind of one of the common themes we've had going through yeah, today's it really show. Is, it's this it? idea that God's grace is enough, mm-hmm. that we can trust him, mm-hmm. that he is good, and that he doesn't grow tired or weary 
uh, of us or, you know, it's never going to be like, well, God's been God for so long. Now he's tired. Right. Like he's he that doesn't happen. And so mm-hmm. I think we can trust him. We could go to him in our weirdness. Like if you're out there right now and you're just run down, you're just tired, you're just life is hard. Life is hectic. Life is like you said, you know, like you guys are dealing with, like still the residue of, mm-hmm. of some traumatic experience. Yeah. Um that's a time to go to God. It's actually, uh, paradoxically, probably a time to slow down. Yeah, interesting. It's a time to slow down, even yeah. though everything inside of you is saying, i got to speed up and get this done, yes. get this figured out, get this yeah. out. It's probably a time to slow down, mm. spend some time in the prayer, mm. much the way our Savior did when he was on earth. He had mm. three years to do all of his ministry. Yeah. And if you think your job's important, he came to save the world. <laughs> <laughs> and yet we regularly see him going off on his own, yeah. praying, uh, recharging, whatever else it might be. And so it's this is hard, Aubrey, because it's one of these things that we know. Yeah. I speak for myself. It's one of these things that I know. Uh, I know it really well and do it really poorly. Yeah. Isn't and that true? Yeah. It's hard. So don't grow weary. One of the ways we don't grow weary is through... Um, intentional connection with our Heavenly Father. Yeah, that's good, Brian. Do do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God. He will not grow tired or weary. That is a good word for all of us to remember on this dark Monday evening. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of weary. Wake up a little bit. No, just if you're feeling weary, you can trust that the Lord can give you the strength and power you need to keep going each and every day. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for being here with us today. We'll be back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.